Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back, everyone, to the Ilm Feed podcast. I'm your host, Shabir Hassan, and uh, it's, it's great to be back once again. I know we've kind of slowed down with the podcast, but inshallah, we're planning on getting them uh, going again. Today, I'm really excited about uh, the podcast today because I feel like it's going to be one of those really uh, practical ones, inshallah, things that we can really hopefully implement um, and something which affects perhaps the most important daily aspect of our lives, our spiritual lives when it comes to worship and when it comes to our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's salah, it's the prayer and I know a lot of us, myself included, many of us, if not all of us, it's a struggle that we have, how do I focus, how do I reconnect, you know, how do I uh, get rid of those distractions, okay, it's a constant improvement and that's what we're going to talk about today because we have someone with us, mashallah, who is the founder of uh, a great initiative called Transform My Prayer. I love the name because that's something that we're all trying to do, transform our prayers. Uh, and he's also the CEO of uh, National Zakat Foundation, NZF. So we're not talking about zakat today. We're going to be talking about salah, inshallah. So great, great pleasure to introduce Brother Iqbal Naseem. Salaam alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alaikum rahmatullah. How are you doing, brother? You okay? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on this as well. Alhamdulillah. No, thank you so much for, for coming on. And uh, like I mentioned, I mean, obviously, the way I know you over the years is from your work with NZF, right? So all kind of zakat related stuff. So mm -hmm. um, a lot of people would probably, for those of who know, you probably would expect a podcast today on zakat. But actually, like we said, it's another pillar of Islam, uh, which comes slightly before that, which is salah. Um, so I'm going to get straight into it and just ask where I mean, why did you decide, obviously you're still doing all of your work with NZF, but why did you decide, you know, this is time now to introduce, trans transform my prayer and Salah is, is something that I need to focus on and, and do workshops on and classes, etc. What's the journey there? Sure. Yeah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, yeah, in a way, I think in hindsight, it was quite a natural transition. Uh, when I, uh, you know, when I over time it's been now 10 years coming up to 10 years that i've been at national zakat foundation um and you know in the midst of that journey uh, there's been a lot of reflection on uh, as one should i suppose and what as one must reflecting on well what exactly am i doing here what am i trying to achieve uh, and if um although it sounds obvious it takes something of a mindset shift i suppose and an understanding to realize that when it comes to the handling of zakat you're first and foremost trying to uh, establish a pillar of Islam you know, within the community and obviously with NZF with its completely local focus uh, within the United Kingdom as well as in the four other countries in which it's now operating. The point is, is that we're looking at zakat not so much just as a form of charity to deal with you know difficulties and problems anywhere but we're looking at it as a uh, as a foundation as a pillar to build a, a community and a society uh, here so we're thinking about the future of Islam and Muslims so for me that's the concern the concern is what is the future of uh, Islam and Muslims uh, i.e the future of uh, the this phenomenon of people submitting to uh, the creator of the heavens and the earth uh, and uh, and those who do that and so when you're thinking about zakat in that way as opposed to simply as just a charity and just providing aid to uh, individuals then naturally you have to think about it alongside the other foundations uh, uh the other uh, the other aspects upon which this building i suppose needs to be built mm. and so um so that i would say at one level and at another level of course 
uh, when you look at the uh, Quranic uh, narrative, which is obviously the narrative of the of the Lord himself, uh, then you notice, of course, that Salah and Zakah come together all the time. Yeah. So the fact that Salah and Zakah come together all the time also suggests and indicates that there is this kind of natural uh, synergy uh, specifically between these two uh, pillars that needs to be uh, thought about and, and focused on. So I thought, OK, well, look, if my my interest or my kind of my overarching interest is not in NZF the brand, it's in like establishing this pillar called Zakat, then uh, whilst during the course of my NZF journey, whoever I would come across, scholar, imam, whoever, I used to always raise this issue of Salah. I would always say, look, do you think that this pillar has been established really? Um, and is it not, I, I have long thought for many years, I've long thought that actually we have, we somehow seem to be uh, perhaps assuming or missing, I don't know what, right, but just missing the point that actually this most basic of actions, which is the cornerstone of everything, the foundation of everything, uh, whose importance really cannot be exaggerated, you know, no matter how much you, how, how you know, whatever you might say, there's, there's no way to sort of, um, uh, what's the word, hyperbolize, right, how important Salah actually is. It didn't seem to me, in my experience, um, that it was getting enough attention. And mm. actually on the ground, uh, you know, based on my anecdotal experience, as well as, you know, looking at other things, it seemed very clear that actually, yes, this is a clear problem. The average Muslim struggles with both consistency and quality with regards to their five daily prayers. So what's actually going, what's happening to deal with that problem? And now it's not that nothing out there exists, yeah, um, but I suppose it didn't feel to me as though there was like a really systematic approach to dealing with this issue and and also something which was kind of um, focused, like lots of institutes, you know, might cover, teach all sorts of subjects, Salah will be one of them, typically with a disproportionate focus on the outward elements of Salah and all the inward elements. And, you know, as if it's just one of a, another whole number of topics we just need to get through. But it's not really that. It's actually something you need to stay with for some time, in my opinion, before you even go on to other things, really. Because mm -hmm. until that aspect of one's life is mastered, you know, um, one could argue that we should, actually attention should be limited in terms of other things and getting to details of all sorts. But this is something that we should receive specific focus. So that's why I started, you know, I developed my own kind of uh, course. I mean, informally, we just do talks here and there, then developed a course started teaching that almost two years ago now uh, in November 2019 Alhamdulillah yeah. taught first course um, and then that same course has been taught many times since to I think over 1,600 people now Alhamdulillah around the world um, and around 10-15,000 people have you know sort of I suppose seen webinars or interacted in some mm -hmm. like one-off workshops and stuff so yeah Alhamdulillah you know as a sort of a well I think the modern terminology is like you know side hustle right this was <laughs> this was my side hustle okay <laughs> outside of uh, outside yeah. of my left stuff and for me personally like it had the I'm uh, I think I'm naturally interested and in, I enjoy you know thinking and researching on topics and subjects but then also presenting and educating around them in a way that I hope and I feel um is uh, yeah, like is practical, is relevant and uses a frame of reference that people can relate to. Because mm -hmm. I think, frankly, a lot of our quote unquote Islamic studies teaching, if you want to put it that way, is very f full of jargon and often presented in a way that people can't properly relate to. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's basically. No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, li I like the wording that you've used, uh, the inward and the outward, uh, because obviously, 
um, there's no there's no shortage of materials or books or you know talks or classes on salah. Um, there's plenty of it out there because a lot of a lot of people, like you said, any typical kind of course that you study, uh, whether it's alimia, whatever, full time, part time, it's always gonna that salah is always gonna be in the curriculum, right? Mm. Um, uh, but like you said, I mean, the inward isn't covered as much. It's always about the fiqh. Um, mm. And that's actually one of the things I did want to discuss today as well was not necessarily the fiqh, but how we focus so much on the fiqh sometimes, which is good. Obviously, you need to know um, the, the, the legalities and, and so on. But then it kind of takes away from the essence or the substance of the prayer, you know. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of focus on all of these things, but then not the not the inward um, so how how would how would we tackle that? I mean, um, obviously you're, you're tackling it by focusing on these courses, etc. Yeah. Um, but like the the kind of average person out there that's reading books, all of the books are written on. Okay, I need to raise my hands to this level or keep my yeah. feet apart this level. What what would your advice be there? Look, so I think this is a really important issue because um, you can tell a person's concerns right by virtue of the questions they ask, right? Mm. And so disproportionately on this subject uh, even after even after a session in which i might have spoken only about you know the kind of what you might call the more substantial inward um you know elements of the prayer the first questions are just on some random technicality yeah, which has nothing to do with mm. what we're actually discussing people are stressed out about getting everything right in this kind of outward sense now the reason why this is significant and important is because what it actually reveals is something about the way in which we've come to conceptualize god because we are we think that that it's these minor uh, issues often minor issues on the basis of which our prayer is being judged fundamentally so that tells us something about how we think like what we think the nature of God is basically in, term, in terms of how he observes and evaluates us. I think that's an important point mm. to understand. So it's a little bit like one analogy is almost like a, you know, when you're when you're doing sort of like, um, uh, you know, sort of like a basic maths test, for example, right? A kid is doing a basic maths test. It's almost like some, you know, so like, I, is it being just evaluated on did you get the right answer or not? And is the pleasure from the fact that, oh, I've got the right answer? Or is it, as I try to, you know, do with my own kids, actually to do with the workings and like how you got there right later on as you go through sort of the education system at a higher and higher level there's much more focus on like the the way of thinking about things mm. as opposed to and evaluating as opposed mm. to simply oh if you got the right answer then it's correct yeah it's a little yeah. bit like that so the point is that how is Allah judging us is he judging us like we're doing like a six-year-old sort of math test or is he judging us as you know as though we're doing like a PhD in this particular sort of subject i.e we can show that we are putting our, investing our whole self into this process mm. so my my point is uh, well, what the way i get people to try and think about this is to just try and think about the salah as a meeting right you think to yourself look i have an appointment right i've got an appointment with the doctor i've got an appointment with you know some family member i've got to go and see my friend for for dinner i've got a work call i've got an appointment with god okay now Actually, it's very useful to just to just normalize your salah as a, just another meeting, which is made special by who you're meeting. But actually, a lot of the principles that you would apply to improving your prayer significantly, all it takes is actually just to see it 
just to do the same kind of things and apply a similar kind of etiquette that you would apply to any other meeting. Things that we would mm. automatically understand to be like the the best way to present yourself and interact in any other setting with somebody else. Actually, just to apply the same level, even if you even if most people could just get to the same standard as they get to everything else, your prayer would be like 10 times better. Mm. So I think that to think about it in that way, that it's a personal meeting, right, an interactive meeting with a real being. You're not worshipping some abstract idea. You're presenting yourself in front of uh, a reality, you know, al-haq, you know, Allah mm. is al-haq, right? the real, the true. It's so... The problem is, is that when you have this rules based theoretical, uh, oftentimes quite, um, uh, you know, many people I've come across, they say that they're, you know, they, they associate their negative experiences of prayer today with with a um, with with sort of harsh or tough sort of traumatic memories of the process of prayer as a child, mm. you know, perhaps in the mother or son, perhaps at home, whatever it might be. But if you see it, if you if we can sort of disassociate from that and understand that it's it's not it's not a performance. It's funny, actually, because I think words give away certain things sometimes. We often talk about, let's perform Salah. But, but performance is, you know, <laughs> like mm. it's an act. Yeah? No. Let's go and let's, let's just, let's meet with Allah. Let's speak with Allah. Let's interact with our Lord. So the point is, when you think about it in that way, it just makes it more natural. So you're mm. more yourself. Okay? So I think the first point is just to how do we frame this whole thing? How am I understanding this? Like, Am I seeing it as simply an obligation, something I have to do, and it's it's correct as long as these technicalities are in order? Um, or is it something which um, actually I see as a much more natural experience uh, and, and, and an interaction in which I'm really trying to communicate something? Mm. Right. And this, I think, is another key thing, because obviously Salah is, you know, primarily it's a it's a communication. I mean, we are we are speaking, we are saying things from beginning to end. OK, so. How do we communicate? Again, if we see that communication as almost like just, um, you know, sort of parrot, parrot style repeating or just reeling off phrases, which we don't really understand. All right. And we've memorized and it's just to get through those phrases and then we're done. Mm. Like, think about that. Think about what that says. I mean, the fact that most Muslims, even educated, professional, whatever, right, who who have come to just accept. So maybe subconsciously. That that's okay it's just okay to just turn up say these things you don't understand go up and down and then go off and then feel like something has been achieved mm. we need to appreciate that it is far more likely far more likely that our salah may not be accepted and may not count for anything on the basis that we were did not have presence of mind or presence of heart than for example you know some particular technicality around exactly where our hands were placed exactly how we moved our finger for the tashahud mm. right i mean you know it's it's hard to it's hard to um it's hard to kind of think about the fact that one's going to turn up on the day of judgment and then be called up on something like that rather yeah. than on the other hand the fact mm. that we weren't fully present and interestingly just i'll just wait mention one point here because uh it's interesting that actually most Take one, take one important technicality, which people would associate as a technicality, uh, where there's a lot of there, there is a lot of discussion around the way in which it invalidates prayer. So, for example, we know that there's a number of you know prophetic narrations, um, and I suppose more generally than uh, supported by various Quranic verses as well, uh, that indicates that if a person moves too quickly, 
uh, between the various positions mm. of the prayer, especially uh, going everything that happens between the standing right and the prostration. So as you go into the ruku, you go into the bowing, come up, say, go into prostration, come out of prostration, go back into prostration, mm. come up again. So in these uh, sort of movements, this is where actually a lot of people's prayer, this is where it basically fails. Okay. Mm. Oh, and the reason it fails is because one has not spent enough time in a particular position. Right. So you haven't, you know, it, you, to even translate some of the narrations, your backbone has not you know, become straight. Okay. Mm. Before you move into the next position. But the point is now one can see that and see, okay, well, that's an outward technicality. One needs to be physically in a particular position before one moves forward. But even the point is, you know, Allah is not dismissing that prayer because you move too fast. And, and on the outward, all that matters is like my backbone is straight, almost like one, two, three, and then go back in. Yeah. That's not the issue. The issue is because it shows a disrespect and a lack of clearly a lack of consciousness of who you're in front of. Because if you really felt Allah's presence before you, there's no way you could move at such a pace. Mm. That's the actual point. Yeah. yeah. And so even in, the, even in the famous narration in which the Prophet ﷺ told a companion that go back and pray, you haven't prayed. The point was be in each of these positions like until you are in a state of tranquility whilst bowing. And whilst you're in a state of tranquility, until you get to a state of tranquility whilst in prostration, meaning that it's actually, you know, tumatnina, we understand as an internal quality, not mm. an external one, that actually you're at rest. So actually, even if you're still in between positions of the prayer, mm. but you're still on the outside, but you're not actually still on the inside. See, some, we're at, and this is something really important to notice within ourselves. Are we truly at rest in each position? before we move into the next position? Or is there something that it's almost like a, um, uh, like, you know, any sound can go and we're, we're moving because yeah. we're almost, you know, the, especially when you're following the Imam, mm. it's very common sometimes, you know, for a person, if the Imam especially takes just a little bit longer, right? That people are already moving into, trying to move into the next position. The imam hasn't said anything. Yeah, Maybe yeah, yeah. Over there, you thought, That's the trigger, you see? Because we're not calm, we're not calm. We're not, mm. and 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 that's important because uh, in any activity, the level of your absorption, right, in that particular activity, like you're 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 typically then internally, you're generally then in a in a in a kind of sort of a calmer state. It's like you've settled in this mm. interaction. Yeah. So I think um I think this is the the key thing to try and understand this in just more normal terms. This is a meeting. Yeah. I'm speaking. I'm actually need to listen as well. You know, which is something else we maybe we can talk about. Um. And I'm moving and I'm moving in a way that relates to a real presence, not to like, you know, just um, either an abstract notion or some rules in a book. Mm. Yeah, interesting. No, I like that. I like I like the the meeting example that you've given, because I think, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of it's not exactly the same thing, but it kind of reminds me of like, you know, when you go to like some masjids. It's quite common now. Actually, I saw it in Juma, um just just today. And I was like, yeah, there's a, there's always like these posters where it says like, you know, turn your turn off your mobile phone uh, mm. because there's no. You know, there's no call that's more important than your call with Allah, that kind of thing. I saw that like many years ago, but it's it's just a nice way of looking at it. Like, yeah, this is actually, this is the most important meeting and call that I have today, you know. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me of that. And um, again, the point about like, if, you, if we look at today on like social media or wherever, the discussions or the quote unquote really controversial discussions and the technicalities are around like some of the things that you mentioned, you know, 
um, do you raise your hands, or not, or you know, mm-hmm. where do you, where do you place your hands, or the the shahud, you know, your finger doesn't move or not, or do you lift it or raise it, or what yeah. do you do? Um, and it's crazy, like that's where all the energy is going towards things mm-hmm. that even if you looked at it from a like fiqh point of view, in a lot of the madhabs, in a lot of the schools, these aren't actually like integral um, components of the prayer. Like you could actually make do without them, and your prayer would actually be valid. So even from a fiqh point of view, that's where our energy is going. But kind of moving away from that, uh, we, we need to focus on the internal elements, right? So the khushu'. So it's, it's interesting, like even from a Quranic narrative, like you mentioned before, from a Quranic perspective, like when Allah speaks about the prayer, a lot of the times, actually, when you look at the descriptions, it's about um, those who in their prayer, yuhafidun or da'imun or the most famous one, khashi'un. That's what he's talking about, like, you know, being consistent in your prayer, preserving the prayer or um, having uh, humility in the prayer. It's not really about, okay, uh, in the prayer, you have to be uh, to the T, to the you need to follow X, Y, Z. He doesn't even mention that. So it's quite interesting from a, from a Quranic point of view. But I want to actually bring, bring it to now, um, before the prayer begins, right? Because what I feel like a, a huge mistake that a lot of us make is, it's only after we say, Allahu Akbar, then we start thinking, oh, why, why am I distracted for? Why can't I focus? It's after we started the prayer. So before you start the prayer, what are your tips for actually focusing so you mentioned one already which is the mindset of the meeting right with Allah what other things would you say to kind of settle down and get into the mindset of prayer sure it's a number of things right so of course we can't talk about preparation for the prayer except that we talk about the wudu and the interesting thing about the wudu is again the way in which we see wudu many of us is exactly how we're ending up seeing the prayer because we're only seeing wudu from the perspective of the technicality Right. Mm. So we need to get these technical things done so that then we're, the prayer can be valid. And again, a lot of the discussions around the wudu, etc. That's what it, you know, where they sent, where they center. Um, but the interesting thing is, of course, that the uh, the wudu uh, is clearly like um, we can observe clearly by the nature of what of the wudu that it is not so much about. Uh, a technical preparation as it is about and uh, like psychologically emotionally getting yourself in the zone preparing again for this meeting okay now uh, one uh, funny observation in relation to this is the fact that you know especially for example uh, especially perhaps in the winter time when uh, the short the shorter days and then Dhuhr Asa Maghrib come close together Many times we privately uh, maybe even publicly depending we celebrate the fact that we have maintained our wudu so it's actually a relief to us that we don't need to do it again. You know, they've actually got a term for this now, by the way, on social media. What is it? Uh, what is they, it? They, they call winter the one wudu season, literally. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Now, that's interesting because, like, the fact that we are celebrating either, you know, almost we feel, oh, thank God, I don't have to do it. Yeah. Um, I will, you know, I might even, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, a person may. Uh, feel like they kind of feel slightly that they need to, they feel, you know, the call of nature sort of distantly, if you like, but they 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 don't want to go now because if they go now, they have to do their wudu again, yeah. right? And then pray. So I'll rather pray and maybe uh, that call becomes stronger and you're more distracted, all right? And then okay, and afterwards, you know, you can, so these things kind of are, are there. But I do think that in terms of your question, the wudu then needs to be seen in light of this. So an, a nice analogy for this uh, is that if we're thinking about this meet, uh, this salat as this meeting with Allah, where effectively we are entering into a sacred space, right, in which we are we have this kind of interaction either individually or collectively uh, with other worshippers, then 
uh, and we we kind of uh, maybe analogize or assume that we're coming to this royal court or palace or what have you, and that prior to entry, there is a particular protocol we need to go through, right? Mm -hmm. And in certain standards, so it's like outside of this royal court or palace, you know, we basically wash ourselves. We come as, uh, you know, disheveled, dirty, whatever, perhaps, right? And I mean that as a result of our sinfulness, forgetfulness. And we and we know from, again, prophetic narrations, as well as uh, even from the Quranic language around uh, the wudu as well, the fact that there is a an internal purification process uh, that is uh, fundamental to the wudu. So as we're what we're doing is we are preparing to present our inner self, if you like, to Allah. So just as uh, maybe before this um uh, before this podcast, right? I might have just made sure I was looking presentable. You certainly made sure you were looking presentable. <laughs> that hairstyle, yeah, that, it, it takes time to come up with that one. I'm telling you. Yeah? So the thing is, we take t trouble because we don't want to look like, frankly, like idiots. Yeah, in front of yeah, yeah, yeah. we want to look presentable. We want to look neat. We want to look clean. Okay, and basically it's the same thing. But Allah, when we're standing in front of Allah in the prayer, I mean, obviously at all times, but in the prayer, we're more conscious of this. He's seeing, he can see right through us. And so in a way, it's like just as we sort of um, uh, make ourselves up or, you know, make ourselves presentable before we see each other go out, etc. Um, and to, just when we're in the sight of other people, now that we are hyper conscious about the fact that we're going, we're in the sight of Allah. It's like, am I, am I, am I presenting my, my best inner self to Allah? Mm. And the book actually helps with that. That's the point of it. Um, so it's a very powerful thing. And I think if we're going through the wudu, appreciating that as we're washing the various limbs, that we are effectively cleansing our inner self of the impurities that have resulted from the way in which we have utilized these various kind mm -hmm. of limbs, then that's a much more powerful kind of uh, thing. And as we know from various narrations uh, and reports that, you know, some of the companions and others, their, um, their, their awe and their, uh, I suppose even fearfulness of, in, of standing in front of Allah started becoming apparent during the wudu itself. Mm. Okay, so people could observe, you know, that was the case, and that's why also it's discouraged to just talk about random things during the wudu because you're preparing, right? Yeah. You're, you're getting in the zone, like an athlete, you know, that's pacing around before they begin their race or whatever. Like you're in the zone. You're 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 now mm. starting to free or already free yourself from from interacting with anything else. I think that then ideally between the wudu and the salah, ideally there should, you know, the shorter the time, the better in some ways. Yeah. Um, and certainly, although this is very difficult for us nowadays to try and in those moments before the prayer, then be free of our devices. Yeah. So rather than check a few messages before we then get back, you know, get back into it or whatever, yeah. because things, they stay with us. Something that we've seen, some message or the thing that we've sent or what have you, they, 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 they stay with us. So the idea is just try and unblock uh, or, or, you know, um, uh, our uh, our minds and hearts of all of these other things yeah. just before so that we are not you know right if we if we're in all of these things right up until the point of beginning the prayer then then you know it's we're, we're, there's a very high chance we're going to carry them with us so whatever we're doing just prior whether it is a meeting whether it's some other activity a call with someone some task some project you know doing stuff at home with the kids whatever is trying to create, I think the wudu helps with that, obviously. And then just before mm. that, trying to create some sort of buffer, right, between yeah. whatever we have been doing and what we're about to do. So I do kind of, uh, you know, strongly recommend this idea of what you might call the golden minutes, yeah, where you basically spend this sort of 60 seconds at least 
you come to the place of prayer, you're standing there, arms by your sides, or maybe even sit down and just uh, take some time to, again, further get into the zone, calm yourself down, align your thoughts better before you begin. Uh, so this is a practice that has been reported by, you know, by some uh, in the past who used to do this. And I think that it's very powerful. And I think it's almost increasingly important today, to be honest. Yeah, um, so actually, you know, even uh, even things like, uh, you know, just breathing uh, deep, deep breaths, calming yourself down. You feel yourself, your shoulders relaxing, thinking forward to the hereafter, you know, thinking about the fact that this could be your last prayer. Um, bringing the aspects of our, the unseen aspects of our worldview into view, if you like, you know, see the angel of death, see, you know, heaven and hell, uh, you know, um, imagine that the Kaaba is in front of you. Think about your blessings and what you feel grateful for so that you can, you can carry that gratitude into your prayer. Think about your difficulties and your troubles and where you need help so you can carry that need with you into your prayer. Mm. Whatever it is, the point is, is that there's no one set of you know prescriptive reflections, but having that moment of reflection before you begin and also saying the iqama as well. Many people individually, when they pray, they don't say the iqama. This is what I found mm. when I ask people, you know, just generally um, students and, and those who participated in the course and, and whenever I've done these kind of workshops and webinars. I found that most people, when they pray, if they happen to pray their obligatory prayer uh, uh, alone, then they're not saying the iqama. And I think that saying the iqama also is very helpful because, again, if you're saying it with an understanding of the words, then the phrases that we are saying there um, are very, uh, like they call us, literally call us mm. to attention. You know, hayya ala salah, hayya ala al-falah, come to salah, come to success. Um, salah is almost like a drum roll, actually. Salah is, you know, literally Salah has stood up, you know, the time has come, you know, it's quite, it's almost bringing this crescendo and yeah. then Allah, Allah, and then obviously we begin. So all of this, I think, is helping then to prepare us, create that buffer, you know, between whatever else has been going on yeah. um, and, and, Allah, and just really trying to imagine the presence of Allah before us. Yeah. Uh, these are, these are some of the key things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, lo I love the concept of the golden minute. I think it's definitely something that a lot more of us can do and should do. It's like the typical example of like the prayer in the masjid where a lot of scholars discourage, you know, running to the prayer, right? You know, you're going to miss a, you, you know, you're going to miss one rakah. And it's mm. like the scholars say, don't run because even if you miss a rakah, okay, you can make that up. Yeah, but you yeah, can't sure. make up the quality of the prayer because what a lot of times what happens is you run and I, we've not all done this. We've all been there. You run and then you're out of breath and you somehow just manage to catch the ruku and even then, like some scholars, they say you didn't even bend your back, you know, like we spoke about. So it wasn't even yeah. done properly. And you're out of breath and, and it takes you like another minute or two just to settle down. And mm. by then, two, three rakat have gone and most of the mm. prayer is done. So it's quite interesting where like if you were, if you did prepare for the salah in advance, like you said, the wudu, which is really important, the, uh, the, the golden minute and all of that, then you're kind of in the in the best kind of state, right? Uh, yeah. to, uh, and frame of mind uh, to pray. Mm. Um and like with so like with distractions, right? Because I want to talk about distractions as well. Where obviously we, we all have distractions. Like the device, like you mentioned, is a huge mm. distraction. Mm. Um, with the distractions, so like, is there is there like one way to kind of get rid of it? Um, and by the way, I have a I have a I have a I have a theory which I wanted to share with you. I've never actually I never actually said this out loud. It's just like this theory I have in my mind, right? Oh, well, so you um, say your theory, then we'll see what. Is okay, okay, cool. So my theory is right when it comes to like distractions in the prayer, because everybody complains, right? As soon as I say Allah Akbar and start the prayer, that's it. I start thinking about everything under the sun. So my theory is the reason why that's the, that happens is because 
Salah is like one of the only times in our in our day, right? Where we're not speaking to someone. Obviously, you're not allowed to speak to someone. You're not allowed to listen to anything else. You're not allowed to look at, read, watch, be connected, right? It's our only time where we disconnect. So therefore, when you disconnect, you have a bit of time to yourself, right? And you now have a bit of time to think about other things. Whereas if you were working or studying, you can't do that. So now mm. that you've disconnected and you're in that state, you're in the state of, you know, being, being engaged in the prayer, that's it. Now everything comes to your mind. The reason why, my theory is, is because you, outside of Salah, you never disconnected, mm. if that makes sense. If you, if you had taken time outside of Salah elsewhere to reflect or disconnect from time to time, then that's your time to like let your thoughts go wild. But then when it comes to Salah, you need to know now it's Salah time. It's that meeting with Allah. So that's my theory. It's not like a great theory, but it's like, would you agree with the basic premise of it? I think, I think what, I, what I recognize within what you're saying is the fact that, um, uh, yeah, like there's nothing, it seems as though there's nothing particular or visible or tangible to focus on. Mm. And so then, you know, your thoughts kind of run wild, right? And then, of course, there is the kind of linguistic challenge, because actually, I think a lot of it is about the fact that look, right now, simply the fact that we are talking to each other. OK, we are we are our mind uh, and our ears, our mind, our brain, tongue. Right. They're all kind of aligned at the moment because we are interacting with, with each other. We're thinking we are thinking about things. Right. I don't know what you're thinking about, uh, but we are thinking about things that are almost like they're offshoots of this discussion and then yep. we might while you're talking i might be listening something might be coming to my mind thinking about okay well, we might bring that back into the discussion later i mean hearing yeah. what you're saying listening to what you're saying right trying to you know derive benefit from what you're saying right and vice versa and then we're in this conversation okay so the point is like so it's worth analyzing this and then saying okay well as far as salai is concerned what's actually the difference because uh, I'm sure you have had this experience as well. I mean, certainly over the last year and a half now, um, you know, I've done a number of webinars, okay, where I can't even see. So here, at least I can see you. I can't even see anything. All I'm looking at, yeah. I'm literally looking at the blank screen or the PowerPoint presentation that I'm flicking through, and I'm presenting for 45 minutes or an hour and talking like this. Mm. I can't see anyone, but I'm still there. I'm still engaged. I'm still talking. So what's the difference? The, the only, I mean, there is no difference. The difference is, I, I mean, when I'm talking to, I can't see him. I just have to believe that he's there. So mm. the question really comes down to, to what extent do you believe he, that he's there? And then to yeah. what extent, again, are you trying to say something? When you're saying the word, the verses of Fatiha or whatever you're saying, the Ruku or whatever, is that what are you, like, are you actually saying something from your heart mm. or not? That's really the key question. Because if you feel your communication, right, where actually you're, you mean what you say and you say what you mean. And if these verses and these words have become things that we are, we mean, right? Mm. Not the, not just that we say, but we mean them. And that takes some work, actually, to yeah. to sort of uh, uh, to sort of work that out, right? Do we actually mean this stuff? And how can I make sure that I am, whilst I'm saying these things, my uh, my like I am thinking and feeling the relevant things and emotions that relate to these particular words, yeah. And I feel they're land they're landing somewhere, like they're actually being received, yeah. So on a webinar, when you can't see anyone, the fact that, you know, there's a little number that says, OK, this many people are here, whatever. Frankly, whether it's five or five hundred, the point is, is that the fact that you, that tells you of their presence, you assume they're listening. And again, you, that puts the sufficient pressure on you to, not, to know now I need to communicate properly. Mm. Yeah, that's enough. Now, the, 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 the scary thing is 
is that knowing that of Allah isn't enough for most of us to be focused now on that and not on something else. Mm. And you know what it is? Is that, um, you see, in order to, like with any, like with most things, I think, right? In order to improve the prayer, mm. you can't rely on simply doing the prayer. I can't just keep doing the prayer to improve the mm. prayer. You've got to come out of, you've got to have, you've got to basically have a, a, an alternative space in which you are reflecting on it, uh, almost practicing aspects of it, you know, uh, learning different components of it, um, you know, listening to a discussion like this or similar, whatever. And then, and then incrementally, step by step, bring in elements of that into your prayer, and start, uh, into the actual prayer itself. Mm. So just like with anything else, again, like give sort of an athlete, athletics or a sports example, you know, outside of the actual matches and the actual games, you might do drills, right? You might do particular things that focus on a very particular aspect. You know, recently mm. I started getting back into playing squash. I used to play loads when I was younger. Yeah. And I got back into it. And uh, yeah, when you died of a heart attack a few times. It's very <laughs> yeah. The point is sometimes, for example, the guy will say, look, I've just sort of... Um, just working with this coach at the moment right so he'll just say so we just do this ghosting yeah there's no ball you just have your racket he'll say okay forehand so forehand so you run you just ghost the forehand back you know what are you mm. practicing just your movement and your right. technique that's one aspect in a game that's just one mm. this movement from this position in an arc to that position those four or five steps that's just one part of many different components mm. of the game but outside of the actual game that's what you're focusing on we need to do that with our salah like this is the thing that and I think this is what I you know why I've started that um you know t- and that's what we're trying to do in that course in the course that I've developed basically is to say and it's called steps to paradise because it's broken down into these mini steps. So let's take each of these little components, go deep into it, think about it, reflect on it, mm. practice it, and then bring it back into the prayer. But also realize that overall the fundamental issue is like really, do you believe do you believe Allah is there or not? It really does come down to that. That is what you're, that's what the, and this is why the Salah is so powerful. And this is why it is actually as important as it is, because what it reveals is the, is the reality of this relationship. Mm. Because like you said, there's no one else in this one. So you can't bluff it now. Mm. There's no bluffing. It's just you and your Lord. And so, you know, and, and, and there's a lot for us to think about when, when we are on our own, you know, in in uh, away from others, in time in other times outside of the prayer, we when we are in solitude, like what happens in in those times, and and what's our state in those times? Are we even comfortable in those times? A lot of people. I mean, I love solitude to be honest. You know, uh, it's fine. Yeah. This this is okay. Should be like I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but you know, I'd rather you know. I'm not saying I'd rather be alone than you know be doing this. But I'm no, just I'm saying. The, speaking, I'm the same. Yeah, I can relate. Yeah, you know, alone time, reflection time, reading time, like all of that stuff, you know, that, that for me is high, most valuable time, right? Yeah. Especially when you've got kids and, you know, that all ends up taking a lot of <laughs> sanity and everything else. So I'm just saying, though, is that that um, if the more comfortable we can be, you know, with ourselves, with our thoughts and and with Allah, basically, in everything else that we're doing, mm. then the easier the salah will be. Uh, because I, this is an, this is actually an, an important point. I think this one point I'll make here is that if you another way to think about salah, okay, is um, in the context of the of a journey. So we've talked about it as a meeting, right, in sort of in isolation. But now, what's the the point is what is the connection between salah and what happens in between salah? Now we know that we are 
uh, we the, the 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 analogy or the frame of reference for the whole of our lives is this notion of a journey right that's why we talk and the fact that we're trying to find our way through okay so that's why we're constantly saying guide us on the straight path yeah okay which is only which is actually the only prayer the only supplication that is a necessary part of the salah mm. any other supplication in salah is supplementary even allahumma salli ala muhammad is supplementary yeah. you know it's very emphasized and important but it is supplementary so the only supplication you have to make in your salah is the request for guidance on the journey mm. and this is really interesting because think about it like this think about it like either a long motorway journey or a mountain climb or a formula one race or whatever you want to think about right in each of those things on the motorway journey you're going to stop at a service station on the yeah. mountain climb every so often you're going to stop take rests you know sit eat recuperate think about the objective right the, where you're trying to get to especially when you need to motivate yourself right in in the formula one race you've got the pit stop right quick sorting out of everything reorder yourself right yeah. mentally the driver whilst that's going on the driver's thinking about like the end finish line remotivate and then boom go off again right now what's interesting about all these examples is that the pause and the next stage of the journey are aligned there's a coherence between the two what does that mean it means that the reason why i've stopped i'm very clear about the fact that it's to facilitate the next part of this same journey so there's a coherence between um and a harmony between the reason why i've stopped what i'm doing when i stop and then the next part of what i'm about to do so the pit stop helps the next part of the journey the yeah. stop on the mountain climb helps with the next part of the climb the the service station stops helps with the next obviously it's, it's like obviously i'm making i'm making a really obvious point but with the salah you see apply the same simple logic the problem we most of us have is that the salah doesn't feel coherent with the with the bits that's happening in between mm. it feels like this oddity it's like we're actually leaving life right just doing this sort of random exercise over there and then kind of come back and do normal life again mm. so what's happening is is that it's, it's as if you know, if Allah is not the objective of all of your life, you're going to find it difficult to make him the true objective of your prayer. That's the point. Yeah. Now, making the true objective within the prayer helps. So it's like it's like a virtuous or a vicious cycle or circle, depending on which way you go. So a better Salah helps the next better stage, next stage of your life. It's supposed the whole point of it is supposed to make it's supposed to invite you to reflect further on what are you doing in between the prayer and is that aligned is that aligned to a higher objective yeah okay. whereas if we're always coming to the salah from an activity that actually was disconnected from god altogether then it will feel at odds mm-hmm. it will not be this compounding effect it's a little bit like then in, in this example in these examples where someone stops on this journey and then afterwards they go off in a completely random other direction yeah and then stop again they go off in another random direction they're not actually getting any then the, the whole the stop and the journey is not um aligned to the end point yeah. this by the way might be this you know is a way to understand the significance of inna salati wa nusuki wa mahyaya wa mamati lillahi rabbil alameen the prophet peace be upon him is, is, yeah. is, is told to proclaim my prayer my sacrifice my living and my dying are all for god lord of all that exists now, when we reflect on verses in the Quran, one way and, uh, to reflect and to do this tadabbur or reflection is to assume, is to ask yourself, well, what would this feel or look like if a certain component wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Now, if it said, Qul inna wa rabbil alameen, and that was the verse, we wouldn't assume anything was missing. Yeah. Right? If it just said, say, my living and my dying are for Allah, yeah, Lord of all that exists. 
the fact that salah is there and the notion yeah. of sacrifices there is significant because it's almost like here's the cornerstone here's yeah. a start which enables you to bring the rest of your life living and your you know dying etc all aligned this is the significance in how does salah prevent immorality and wrongdoing i.e what does that mean it means align the rest of your life right with a sort of god-centered kind of living and where allah is your true objective mm. again it's because it's because you know you're, you're in salah in such a way that you feel the presence of allah and somehow it's informing and teaching you guiding you mm. so that the next part of your journey in, in, in your life the next stage um is reflective you know like mm. reflect prayer basically yeah yeah so this is this is this is, so i think this is the um uh, this is a really important thing for people to think about because one thing i'm personally interested in which is maybe a discussion for another day is okay how we talking about here alignment and harmony in one salah yeah mm. to make it truly focused uh, on allah but then the interest then the next part of that is okay well how do i do that with the whole of my life then mm. you know and i just yeah. think that and this is why what the the narrations that indicate that if salah is in order everything else will be in order mm. right it's the key to paradise your first thing you'll be asked about when you start to think about it like this then you can better understand those those kind of components of prayer that why is it the case yeah because actually all of the answers to <laughs> You know, almost every aspect in you know, the fundamental aspects of how we do life are in are in this they're in the mm. prayer yeah yeah no i really like this point about alignment like i remember reflecting once on you know, there's that verse in the quran inna salata tanha anil wal munkar. Mm. so literally salah it it prevents you from doing anything obscene or anything bad mm. and when you, when you think about it it's like what what does that mean does it just mean during the salah or is it outside of that? So obviously during the Salah, yeah, most definitely, you know. Mm. But outside of that, it's interesting because when you think about it, like like you were saying, the points about how Salah does impact. So like even basic things like you have to pray Salah on time. So you've got to be punctual in, in other parts of your life. Um, or the fact that in Salah, your gaze is fixed usually. And then like if you're able to do that in Salah, then in life in general, uh, as you're, you know, traveling, walking, um, you're able to kind of, fix your gaze you're able to focus if you're able to focus in salah you're able to focus elsewhere mm. so i think I, I find those parallels really interesting how yeah, salah yeah. does actually impact other parts of your life and i feel like that's that's pro probably a lot of us don't see it that way and we we just kind of view salah like you said as a completely separate um action and a lot of us we don't we don't factor in and this is another point i did want to quickly touch on was how a lot of us we don't factor in salah in our kind of daily routine so when the time comes then we're like oh it's salah time you hear the adhan you're like oh it's salah time but you never when you woke up in the morning and you had this like plan for the day like oh i'm gonna go out i've got shopping to do i've got errands to run i've got work you never thought about oh but what about salah time and and and, and if and had we done that and had we factored it in um that quality of the prayer would have been better would, would you agree with that no i agree i agree and also i think and it, it kind of comes back to what we were discussing at the beginning or towards the beginning which is that actually if you see this as a meeting or an appointment then you will schedule mm -hmm. it in so then you, if you look at your calendar, yeah. you'll see all the various things you've got to do, like, and then just, you know, it's, it's just another entry. Mm, very yeah. true. Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. having it like that, again, it normalizes this it, whole experience. And this mm. helps a lot with people who, for example, as people maybe start to go back to the workplaces and all, all the rest of it, I think yeah. this really helps because, um, uh, you know, having your, having your salah in your kind of diaries, your calendars, or even your work calendars and what have you in such a way that is just like the way you put everything else in there that you 
that you um that you're committing to right mm. uh, then yeah then i think that 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 helps a lot it helps a lot it helps a lot in kind of demonstrating your seriousness about it helps in terms of the reminder and then also what it does is like we've discussed it maybe starts to align your understanding about the fact that this is another meeting and the same etiquette that I just showed in this client meeting or this internal work meeting or whatever, in terms yeah. of proper communication, proper listening, not, you know, not behaving in a way that clearly demonstrated disrespect mm. or speaking in a way that demonstrated disrespect. Like we speak very fast in our prayer oftentimes and we yeah. mumble our words, even in a silent prayer, it's possible to say the words in a way that we can describe as respectful. You know, but I think um, I mean I don't think it's a pro probably not uh, too much of an exaggeration to say I don't think most people mumble their words in such a way that if you were just to then amplify the volume right and to and to retain the speech in the same way like they would be embarrassed that yeah. this is what how they spoke to their Lord when you when the same people will correct their own children if their children are speaking you know in a way that's like you know too fast or you know what yeah. we, we we are concerned about that for our kids. You know that they should speak properly communicate well come across yeah. well etc but then we ourselves don't do that and we do and and we wouldn't we do that we wouldn't uh, speak disrespectfully uh you know without proper pronunciation etc mm. uh, you know with with whoever else if again if we're taking if we're if we're taking these other interactions seriously that's by the yeah. way a really interesting point on the issue of tajweed right yeah. so tajweed again is seen as a very technical kind of thing but what's the actual point of it the point of it is just pronounce the words properly so i just interpret it as a form of respectful communication yeah right it's out of respect for the one whose words you are reciting uh, and out of the and and uh yeah and whether that's for the quran or obviously just a proper pronunciation of any of the phrases of prayer or even in in, in supplic general supplication in or out of the prayer yeah we mm. just asking and speaking in a way that is appropriate like the yeah. thing is not this stuff is like it really is common sense 101 to be honest but because we don't reason and we don't think about the our relationship with our lord in sort of frankly what i would just describe as normal terms this is actually what ends up messing a lot of things up True. you know it's, yeah. it's it's become and, and this is why a lot of people feel a disconnect either they feel either as a by being a believer it's almost like they, they feel more disconnected from the world right mm. uh, or, or, or uncomfortable in the world and obviously there's a level there's a level of that call it disconnection discomfort that's appropriate but i'm talking in a way that's maybe not helpful uh, uh from a, from the perspective of us being in society as we need to be and we should be mm. um or they're so involved in the what they're so so involved in the world that they become you know un, uncomfortable or unable to then relate with with the prayer so yeah. these things need to be you know, it just needs to all come together. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, like you said, a lot of those things are are basic. Like, if you want to put it that way, they are they are quite basic. Or if you want to call it um, common sense. But I guess it's just it's just more around, um, you know, like understanding why you do what you do. Like like you mm -hmm. said, Tajweed and all of those things. Um, I, I'm really conscious of time, so mm -hmm. um, I guess on on like one one final note. I mean, in terms of like like final i'm gonna ask you for some final like tips because i know there's so many things you could have mentioned some final like practical tips for for the listeners and viewers to inshallah take away um as well as factoring in the distraction element because like i think one thing that we've probably established now from our conversation is you could be wearing the best clothes you could be in front of the kaaba in makkah listening to the best imam recite but you could be completely disconnected because you're not you're not actually there um mm. so what would be your like final 
tips. Um, <laughs> find a few tips to to help someone. Okay. To... Yeah, I'll, I'll mention I'll mention sort of two things, right? Fundamentally. Okay. So number one is is it's more outside of the prayer, and I think the question that everyone needs to ask themselves is what are we what activities or processes are we involved with that in that um that are increase that help us to increase our knowledge and appreciation of our lord okay you know uh, again again when muslims we talk when we talk about knowledge and seeking knowledge again i feel that we talk about it in ways that i'm not sure most people can really truly relate to right the point of this ilm, this knowledge, is to know your Lord. That's the point of all of this. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 are we? Uh, I suppose the tip is, or the or the recommendation to myself and, and to everyone is, be more curious about who your Lord is. Don't take it on assumption from A B C person, but look at the two fundamental sources uh, of information that reveal to us who he is and that is even according to his own uh, his own words his revelation and his creation so i think that most of us are familiar with the idea of okay we need to ponder the quran understand the quran but i'm i want to be really specific to say that the point of doing this tadabbur is to gain a better appreciation of who allah is again it's not just about like just sort of to to to, to derive um just a random insights, yeah, basically. But it's specifically one should be constantly ask oneself, what am I learning more about who, the nature of Allah, who Allah is, and his expectations of me? Mm. I.e., it becomes very much, it's very much about the true relationship. Uh, similarly with creation, like, you know, many people, they might not be particularly interested in, you know, the physical aspects of creation, etc., in their own right. But when you actually think about, see these things for what they are, which is the handiwork of the Lord of the heavens and the earth, then it's different because now when I, even as a young person, when I, if I'm studying biology, physics, chemistry, math, whatever, right? Um, then, or history even, whatever it might be, then I'm looking, I can look at all of these things and I can, I can, and my curiosity, my interest is, I want to know, I want to know how Allah has designed this. You see? Yeah. So I myself, I used to hate physics when I was a kid, right? But more recently, I might read every so often things that relate to the universe, physics, et cetera, et cetera. But what's driving me to do that is, and, and it's more, then it's much more of an intrinsic motivation now, as opposed to, you know, pass some exam, right? Which is, I'm more interested to understand the nature of my Lord, because actually in looking at the ayat of Allah in creation, you understand a lot about him. Yeah. This is vital. All of these things are vital. Why? Because then when you come to your prayer, you have a better sense of who you're in front of. If if your knowledge and appreciation of Allah has not never changed, like this is really important to think about. What do we know about Allah today that we didn't know six months ago or a year ago or three yeah. years ago? If basically what we can say about him is the same now as it was before, clearly we're not growing. Right. Sure. Clearly the relationship's not moving, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really critical point. And we should all therefore in ask ourselves what activities or processes are we involved in that's genuinely increasing our knowledge and appreciation of Allah because we carry that into the salah the salah will be a lot as more powerful and then as far as in the salah is concerned then I think there is just no substitute right for doing two things number one memorizing the meanings of the words that we say in the prayer but and I think this is something which is I mean I haven't heard recommended before but I strongly recommend it personally which is practice saying 
the translations of the words in the prayer outside of the prayer, basically. Yeah. Right. So the translations of the words that you say in the prayer, say them outside of the prayer as like as you as if you're offering these this as a communication to Allah. Mm. So for example, even with Surah Al-Fatiha, if we can say outside of the prayer, practice being like actually emotionally kind of communicating in the name of God, the Lord of mercy, the giver of mercy. All praise belongs to God, Lord of all that exists, the Lord of mercy, the giver of mercy, master of the day of judgment. Guide us on the straight path, the path of those whom you favoured, not of those who have earned your anger, nor of those who have gone astray. May it be so. Right. Now, the thing is, again, a lot of people could not just say it like that from beginning to end automatically or naturally. Now, mm. check, check this. If you can't do it in English, never going to do it in Arabic. If you can't do it in English, you're never going to do it in Arabic. Well, if you can't, what I mean is if you can't say it in English fluently, with feeling, you're never going to do it in Arabic because you don't spend your days thinking in Arabic, talking in Arabic. Mm. So you can't do it in the language that you're most familiar with. You're never going to do it in, in, in Arabic. But if you are able to do this, so even with Subhan Rabbil Azim, how perfect is my Lord the Majestic? How perfect is my Lord the Majestic? How perfect is my Lord the Majestic, the Supreme? Now, he's practicing saying that in English, you and then doing the and then saying the Arabic automatically. What was Subhanallahim, Subhanallahim, Subhanallahim becomes Subhan Rabbi al Azim, Subhan Rabbi al Azim, etc. Naturally, because now you're relating to it. But if you can't do it in English or you're not, you know, you're not, and it might feel awkward. People, I think, feel very awkward sometimes in doing some of these things because it just feels like. I mean, some people even feel like this is some sort of sellout exercise. You know, how can I, how dare I, you know, do, do any of this in English? You know, yeah, but this is the yeah. language that Allah, number one, understands. Number two, more importantly, created. Okay. So, so it's, there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing inherently wrong with it or evil about it. Okay. Absolutely. We, need get, yeah. we need to get over that one in our head. <laughs> but seriously, it's very important because if you, you cannot, you never get to a point where you're meaning what you're saying if you can't simultaneously process the translation or the meaning of what you are actually saying in the prayer mm. right and then you can express you can the tone is really important right in all forms of communication right now if i just monotonously said everything to you the same words like the impact will be like reduced by 90 percent plus mm. right or your conviction about the extent to which i mean what i'm saying even if i'm saying the same words Whereas if I apply some tone because I care about what I'm saying and I know what I'm saying, at least I understand what I'm saying, then it's a whole different story. Mm. You know, so this is really critical. Are you communicating with Allah in such a way that you that you think that he would feel that you really like were investing yourself in that communication? Mm. That's the key. That's the yeah. key. So I think this as a practice point is is massive, I think. Yeah, yeah. Huge. I think. Yeah, really, that's I think that's really, really. Uh... Good point to end on the internal and the external uh, aspects there. Um, just a quick one: uh, if, if is there a website where you know if someone wants to find out more or enroll on one of your courses? Yeah, so there's transformmyprayer.com. Um, it's uh, it's ha I haven't given it too much attention uh, mo mo most recently, but yeah, you can see there that um, some information. You can basically drop your email address in if you want to be informed about upcoming courses. I don't have a fixed date for any upcoming course at the moment. Yeah. Um, but inshallah, we'll probably be one before the end of this year. We're in 2021, by the way, for it. Because there's going to be people watching it later as well, yeah. Yeah, in Tala, yeah, perhaps, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that that's where to that's where to uh, that's where to look it up, basically, and um, yeah. Inshallah. Yeah, Jazakallah Khair. Thank you so much. I, I found this really, really useful and hopefully a lot of the 
viewers and uh, listeners will find it useful likewise and be able to implement, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair uh, to Brother Iqbal for joining us on the Umfid podcast and to uh, our viewers, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you benefited, inshallah. Do share, do subscribe, and we hope to see you again uh, back on another podcast, inshallah. Take care of yourselves. We'll end it here. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu